1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneider, your co-host, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Nick Turchin. In the Big Blue Banter Podcast, we aim to do one thing, and that's marry film with analytics and a little bit of the eye test. And today we're doing an all Daniel Jones podcast. So this entire podcast will be dedicated to what we saw when we went back and broke down Games on Daniel Jones from his 2018 season at Duke. Now, originally, I had the idea of going game by game at the five games we looked at. And obviously, both me and Nick have watched other games from Daniel Jones. These five games in specific, I've watched now three times, but we wanted to get another fresh pair of eyes on them, rewatch it, kind of look at Daniel Jones as the prospect that he is coming into the Giants, what he can become after working with head coach Pat Shermer. And originally, my thought was to go game by game on this, but Nick had a much better idea. And he told me, listen, When NFL teams are evaluating quarterback prospects, they're not going game by game and saying, okay, he had four good games here. He had three bad here. Anything like that. What they're looking at is traits, and they're breaking down these evaluations of their players based on traits, and it's not not an aggregation of tape. It's nothing like that. So for this show, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look at Jones on a trait-by-trait basis. We're going to call back to some of these games that we watched and where we saw them. So I want to start – with a trait that I think is one of Jones's best trait. It's a trait that keep coming up and up for me in my notes. I kept writing it down over and over and that's throwing on the run. So Nick, I wanna hear what your thoughts are uh, as Jones as a thrower on the run.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. No, the throwing on the run is a, is, I would say it's almost kind of key now for what Patrick wants to do with so much bootleg. Um, and I think you've seen it with even an immobile quarterback, like, like Manning or um, when people would classify as immobile, but he's actually pretty athletic when he's moving and he's pretty accurate when he's moving. And so I think that, you know, it's something you saw back in 2017 with, uh, with, with Case Keenum um, and in, in, in past. So what we like about Jones uh, for a little bit of the details here is that he 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 consistently gets depth as he rolls out of the pocket to then come downhill, which is an interesting habit. It's definitely something that was coached. It's definitely something you could see that he likes to do when you come downhill with the target. Your accuracy thing, your accuracy goes way up. Uh, his ability to keep his balance um, throughout through with his feet moving, I thought was pretty good. I mean, he's a pretty good athlete uh, within his six five, you know, two twenty ish frame. Um, and what I really liked too was there's a throw against. It was Clemson, um, where he was able to basically throw a real line drive throw um, to the, basically to the sticks for like a nine yard out or comeback route um, just off structure that he he was able to complete where it's like i basically wrote my notes as that went down i was like this is a Shermer guy type throw where he was under pressure he had to escape with speed and then he had to get downhill and show those habits of kind of getting his shoulder across his left his lead shoulder across and he ended up putting a ball with really good placement on on a throw that to be honest most guys probably can't make and again, I've, I brought this up in the past, but it's an interesting contrast. And this is going to sound maybe a little crazy to people, but I actually think Jones is better when throwing on the run than actually Kyle Murray is. Kyle Murray is very good throwing on the run when he's moving down, when he's moving straight ahead. When when he's moving laterally, he doesn't have those habits. And to be fair, he wasn't coached to have those habits. Uh, Lincoln Riley goes into a great spiel this 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 clinic season about how he basically trained his guys to scramble, to stop, set their base, and then throw, which 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 he does excellently. So I actually think that from a profile perspective, that type of mobility it fits Jones to Shermer much better than even a Murray to Shermer would be. Um, and it's just something that you do see pretty consistently, and something that from not only just within bootlegs and nakeds, but with also the mobility on screens, that's going to be a big deal for, for you know, people always ask what, why, why are we not seeing as many screens from the Shermer offense? I think it's partially because of that, because of that athleticism to be able to deliver the ball.
1: And I think you bring up some great points there, Nick, and a lot of it is what I've seen as well. Now I think one of the most excellent points you made there is that he does do an excellent job of getting depth on these while he's rolling right. And that allows him to, for a player like him, who's obviously not throwing from different a lot of different arm angles, I mean, he's a very over the top thrower, and I think it's really important for him to to get that depth and to kind of be driving downhill. Now, for me, the the best throw I saw in, the, in this example, Nick, and again, I will say this, Nick, uh, most of these examples for me came when he was rolling to his right and kind of evading and roll and kind of either evading the pressure to his right, which he did a great job of against Temple when there was a quick blitz uh, off his right tackle. He rolls to the right, completes the pass, but. He also – what my favorite throw was one he had against Virginia Tech, actually, um, and it was for, it was with 11 minutes to go in the second quarter, first and 10. He's forced to roll out of the pocket, and I thought this was the most NFL-caliber throw he made on any of the games I've seen uh, really throughout all of this tape because he's – you know, it's a wide receiver comeback right at the sticks, but he's – the ball travels about 15 to 20 yards. He's not set. He's rolling right, and he lands the ball with pinpoint accuracy. Uh, the ball is thrown – basically out of bounds, but it hits the receiver right in his hands and drags his feet. Um, it's a perfect throw. It's the type of NFL throw that I – the reason I like this, and this one stood out to me, Nick, is that I didn't see this when I watch Haskins now. Haskins didn't wasn't asked to do this slot, and a lot of what Haskins did is just sit in that pocket. Um, but and, and, again, that could have to do with the scheme or whatever it is, but this is the type of throw I think I see um, at the NFL level more often. It's the type of throw I think they're asked to make more often – and you bring it up, Nick. There's just so many examples. At least for me, you know, I already have in my notes just four more examples from that game uh, against Virginia Tech, where he's making accurate throws on the run, and that's really what I saw as well. Just the ability to, to maintain accuracy while on the run, and you see it against Clemson. You see it really in every one of these games, with the exception of Miami, where he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have as many examples of that. But that, to me, is one of the most important things. But I wanted you to touch a little bit more on the mobility. Right? And on his not only his accuracy uh, while he's throwing screens, Nick, but his mo- mobility when he's throwing screens. Because I think part of what Shermer's scheme, wa- part of what Shermer wants out of his scheme, is more of a screen game. I remember when he came over last year, Nick, during the preseason before we got to the game action, Shermer like really talked up how important the screen game is. For his offense and then we got to the regular season and it was mixed in nick but we didn't see a lot of it and i think that's an Eli manning problem i know mean you both agree on that so i want to hear is is jones a guy you think can come in right away and not necessarily fix i i wouldn't say fix that problem but give them a better chance to get to where Shermer wants to get to in the screen game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, unlocking dual, dual screens or double screens where there's a, a fake to one side then come back to the other. He had a lot of good examples yep. where, you know, uh, I wouldn't say he's, again, to kind of compare him, and I, I recently had to break down Case Keenum for the Scouting Academy, so I watched Case all over again, which is a lot of fun. But Case is, Case is really good with his feet, and he gets to the place first, and then he delivers the ball. I would say Jones is a little different that he doesn't have to get to the place because he has that ability. Maybe he doesn't change his arm angle. He can jump. He can, he can find the way to get through that, to get through that defender that's usually in their face at that point on a double screen. The issue with the double screen is you're gonna get your quarterback killed because he's get it just takes time to develop. And the screen effectively is what? Letting the rushers come on. So yeah, that's something we haven't seen as much. The other key point to this, and this gets into his ability to throw a runner's ball, he throws a very good short ball um uh in, in these screens to make them catchable to for for to maximize yards after catch. And that's a big deal. It sounds like a stupid, dumb thing, but it's actually a huge deal to make your offense efficient. And that's what I kept on you know, I, I created a thread basically for for this a couple months ago. And I think a lot of a lot of people maybe thought, hey, like a lot of this stuff is kind of may put some people to sleep, but this is with the key to make an efficient offense. And I think when you have an efficient offense and you complement that, and this is again giving this is giving the real bull pitch, when you complement that with explosive playmakers who then carry the ball after catch, that's what the Giants want. Right, that's what they have with Saquon Barkley. That's what you need. You need that type of player, uh, per se. And so I think that that's what the goal was for this, for for the mobility into throwing angle was. Is can we can you move the launch point in the pocket efficiently to get to a good distribution point to put your players in space? That's the basis of the air raid. Yes, but guess what? It's the basis of the West Coast as well. So it's you know I'm, I I see a real parallel there for 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 how the offense wants to function.
1: Yeah. And you, you said it best, Nick. I mean, let's, let's, let's break this down. Just kind of basically Shermer wants this offense to be a quick hitting offense, gets the ball in space to these playmakers in dip in a wide variety of ways. Like you talk about via the screen game, via the the timing and the placement on the quick slants and things like that. And with, with Jones, I do believe that they will, he does has shown us the traits I think, or at least he's shown me the traits he can help improve what Shermer likes to do and we'll see, but I want to move on to one more trait. Um, that I think is you know overall I wouldn't say lacking but not as not as strong um, as as the others, and that's his ball placement overall so for me, Nick, I do agree that his placement on the screen's excellent, his placement on some of these slants and 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 his ability to lead the receivers excellent, but where I saw some issues, Nick was his placement and his location on passes under pressure. I mean I saw a lot of this versus Clemson, obviously we'll get to why that you know. I'll, I'll just say it right here, Nick. I've never seen an offensive line more overmatched than watching that Clemson game and watching the Duke offensive line. Obviously, the Clemson defensive line had three players selected in the first 17 picks overall with the Giants closing that out with Dexter Lawrence at 17. But, I mean, I did think that there were, there were times where he could have thrown the ball uh, a little bit, could have placed the ball a little bit better, giving his receiver a better chance. So, for me, Nick, I'm, I'm interested in his ball placement overall, in your opinion, but also his ball placement under duress and under pressure.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good one. And because he does go through, I mean, look, you got, when you break down film study, it's all on the tape, right? We're not really speaking out of school here. He has, just like Dan saying, he has what I would call bouts of, of being scattershot. And it's not super correlated to his motion or his, basically right. his mechanics, because his mechanics are pretty, pretty damn clean. Um, so again, it's not like, hey, it's, it's clearly this on this when he's throwing to this. I don't really think it's that. I think he just look. I think he misses guys. Um, And I think that in general, the misses, I would say, were high occasionally, but they were kind of on the correct side most of the time. I wasn't super scared by the misses. Like You can be with some quarterbacks where it's like, hey, he's not getting this and the ball is sailing and it's it's consistent and it's a problem. Um, I think that the way I would define his entire game, is that if if the read was simple from a pre-snap basis or defined from a pre-snap basis and he was able to deliver that way, overall his placement was very, very good. Once it starts getting outside of that, I think yeah. that that's where the adjustment comes from. And that's where people, some people have said, hey, it's an issue versus pressure. I think his poise versus pressure is very, very good. Yeah. He's he stands in to take the hit. Now, does he take the hit and is as the placement wane? Yeah. And I think that. It even wanes on touch passes, which is a strength of his. So it's not just on hey when he's throwing, when he's gunning in a ball to a very very tight area. It's when he's trying to float things too to a, to an open area. You can miss. But look, I think that that's just what you get with some quarterbacks. Um, I don't know how much that's going to improve. I think a big part of that is going to come down to to the ability to get him as many first look as many predefined first first uh, first reads as he can, and kind of go from there. And it's not something where I would say. It's de- I don't think it's debilitating. Uh, I definitely think it's there, but I don't think it's debilitating. And I think when it's good with t- with with touch passes or, or passes that require a little bit of feel over the middle and in breaking routes, yeah, very very good. But yeah, absolutely, consistency consistency should improve and will improve, I bet, or I, or can improve, I bet. But I don't, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think it's debilitating.
1: Yeah, and I think you you hit nail on the head. At least the way I see it, Nick, the way I see it is it's it's a it's a different night and day with. Uh, over the middle versus on those outside hashes where, with those throws being less accurate on the outside hashes. And I think that's, for me, it's, it's, it's a product of arm talent. And now I could be wrong on this. Um, we'll, we'll find out at the NFL level, because I do think he does have adequate arm talent. Like we've talked about, he has enough, he has good arm talent, he's good, shows good touch. And we'll get to that. But I think it's an issue a little bit more when, you know, you're, he's facing these heavy blitzes and the only real option is one-on-one man uh, coverage on the outside and, you know, that to me defines some of the really, really elite quarterbacks at the NFL level, um, but I don't think it's debilitating for uh, for a, a successful offense because I don't think, you know, teams are not going to play that style of defense every snap, and they can't play that solid defense every snap for a wide variety of reasons. So um, I want to touch on another uh, trait before we move on to phase two uh, is kind of how we broke this down. And another trait that I actually think is probably, if I had to say either it's his accuracy on the run or this trait, that's his best trait. And it's his poise and toughness in the pocket. For me, um, I have just littered for my, from my notes, I have examples of of him making just excellent throws while getting crushed. And I, honestly, Nick, for me, there's situations where I see his accuracy maintaining on some of these deep balls touch-wise over the top. Now, it's not like the most perfect pinpoint throw, but it's damn close, even while getting clobbered. And he got hit while making a lot of throws that I've, that I've watched on the, in these five games, and just overall in all the games I've seen from Jones. There's just so many times where, where I'm seeing, uh, you know, kind of a 2011 version of Eli Manning. Now, in that sense, now, Nick, for me, before I get this, I want to say this. I don't think, and I'll tell everybody this, and I've said this before, I don't think 2019 Eli Manning is going to get back to 2011 version. It was eight years ago of Eli Manning from the sense of poise and toughness in the pocket, and I think that, you know, this is a trait that can really help the Giants offense move because there are those those plays where it's a split second and if they were able if he if you know if the quarterback's able to stand in there just a little bit longer and deliver the ball with accuracy while getting hit the Giants are moving the chains and they're or they're, or they're making a big play after the catch or the drive continues and eventually leads to a score. So Nick, did you see what I saw from a poison toughness standpoint with Jones?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was there, and I think that the willingness gets into is a big part of it because I don't think, and we can get into this too. I don't think his his footwork is super refined in the pocket, but yet he was willing to stay in and take the shot. So I think if you can improve the footwork slash refinement to delivering the ball, anticipate basically anticipating in in his peripheral vision the pressure coming to him, and then having the answer in his footwork to get to the spot to then get to then release the ball. If that, if that really improves, which is kind of just a pocket, a pocket movement thing or a pocket mobility thing, you know, he's, he's going to be dangerous because he has that ability to stand in and throw from his feet kind of in, in off angles um, or in you know, basically off platform. So yeah, I, I, I definitely thought that. And, and it was something where, yeah, you really hit it. You hit it on the head there. I mean, it's, it's something that's kind of overlooked because, you know the Giants have had a poor offensive line for some for for many years. I think last year it certainly improved, but they they obviously had issues. Like everyone has issues, there's going to be muddy pockets all the time. I think in I think the answer for him in the muddy pockets is can that can that can that footwork get more efficient, and then because because he checks the boxes for all the other things, uh, for you know to deliver the ball on time.
1: Yeah, I think you brought up a great point there too, Nick, because it's different, uh, the ability to throw from different arm angles and and what you said, the ability to throw off platform based on footwork. And that's something that, you know, we both agree that can be improved much easier than, you know, say, trying to get a quarterback to throw a different, different mechanics or something like that. And we'll touch on that a little bit more later when we kind of dive into what we learned, what we think. That, that Giants fans can take away from uh, the mandatory minicamp and all the OTAs so far. But as we move forward, I do want to get to the shot plays with Daniel Jones. And, you know, that would that, that's the deep seams, that's the, the deep posts, and that's the deep goes. And for me, I was actually, you know, and this is something, you know, as I watch him more and more, I actually become more impressed with Nick. I believe that, you know, Jones has a really good ability to throw with touch down the field. Now, is that something that can work at the NFL level? Yes, I believe it can. It's not, he's not going to beat, you know, cover two with two safeties back there, in my opinion. That's just the way I see his arm talent with these throws. But if he's able to do what the Giants want him to do, what Pat Shermer wants him to do, which is competently, you know, read the play to the point where he sees the ability to have that seam or have that deep throw, uh, you know, open, or I won't say open, but the ability to throw it open, which he's, uh, in my opinion, does a pretty good job of uh, with the touch. I think he's going to succeed at the NFL level. So I just have a lot of examples in here, Nick, of where he's throwing excellent, excellent touch passes. A lot of these on these deep posts or uh, a lot of them for me came on these deep posts and wheel routes and then go routes. And a a few of these were dropped. A a big handful was dropped. I think it's important to note, Nick, that, you know, out of all the quarterbacks in this 2019 draft class, uh, Jones suffered the second highest drop percentage from his wide receivers. But I do want to hear your take on kind of, Where Jones stands from a shot play standpoint, because that was missing from the Giants' offense last year. Now, was it because Eli Manning didn't trust what he's seen and didn't get to that those deep reads quick enough? I think so, but I want to hear what you think Jones has from that regard and how it could translate.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think he, you know, just being when I was down in Mobile, was the first thing that struck me about him was I think he had the prettiest deep ball in the senior Mobile class, Um, and you know it's. It's, it, it's, it's got good airtime. It's got, it's got good strength. And when it's in rhythm to a rhythm fade, it looks really, really, really good. You know, is it consistent enough? And is it the most consistent in that class? No. But it, when it's good, it's really good. I think that's kind of what the Giants saw, too, as well. Um, yeah, I absolutely think that, again, this gets into a little bit of the pre-snap, post-snap thing again. If he has a pre-snap, and to be honest, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking of Nick Foles when I'm describing this right now, of the throw he made against the Jacksonville Jaguars, where Nick Foles is not super known for being for his deep shots, but he was able to basically recognize something the Jaguars were doing and absolutely punish them for it. I see this. I see the same thing in Jones because you have the good pre-snap FBI uh, football intelligence and you have the ability for when. For when he's able to throw things in rhythm it looks really good and it can be really good so i think that's going to kind of be his setup at the next level you know let's let and let's bring it into the Shermer side of things like most of Shermer's routes hit in the intermediate level so we're talking about intermediates roughly 12 to 21 yards on the upper end of that is actually a three-step rhythm fade a three-step rhythm fade um, to an outside wide receiver hits at the basically the 20 to 25 yard range so and that's, a, by the way, an answer in almost quick game because it's a it, it the ball gets sent at the top of the drop right away a three step out of out of gun, so I think that I think that Shermer doesn't require a guy to be a Ben Roethlisberger and attack quarters coverage by just by, by throwing, by, by throwing an unbelievable out route at 15 yards, you know, basically beating a flat defender at that level. I don't think that that's what, what they look for and what he kind of requires. And I think it gets into, you know, who can throw Y cross the best. That's kind of how I think of it. And I thought that that's what case Keenum did very well in Minnesota. Um, I think that it flashed at times for the giants last year. I think Manning got really better in his fade game uh, in the second half of the season. Um, and so I think it's I think it's definitely there. I think the other side of this too is, and to kind of go on the other side of what you said, I think his whole I think his ability to attack cover two, is there and that's yeah. where i think it gets into his mindset where yeah maybe he, he he's he's a more aggressive quarterback and, get, and he's more aggressive than people realize sometimes it led to some bad decisions i think and i'm not totally sold on his decision making i kind of throw it right around average but when he's being aggressive he, he wants to attack coverage so when he sees cover too yeah there are instances where he's throwing second reaction type throws to the turkey hole to, to as a whole shot That's, you know, that's something absolutely that has not been there for the last three years in the Giants offense. And that just can change the game versus two high safety looks where they're they're worried about it. And, you know, to be frank, um, to the field, to the wide side of the field, defenses weren't worried about the last two years at all. And so that changes things no matter who the receivers are. Um, So I definitely see that. And and I'm looking for that. Again, I'm not trying to say it's going to be, you know, you're not going to see a lot of dagger concepts way down the field all the time you know that's that's, that's not that's not his no, style I would it, say. Yeah. but it's not what they call either and, and so i think that it's it's certainly good enough to you know for those times when they want to take it and and those times where they where they took it last year too i could i think it would, it would be an uptick for sure
1: yeah and i think it's important you brought. i think it's important for us to to touch on this topic because it came up a lot for me as well where i i was very impressed with this because i went in with a different mindset nick because a lot of what i heard you know, before even looking at Jones is that from people, you know, I respect, but whatever it is that he's a very, he's a safe quarterback. He's always checking down, whatever it is. He's a too safe quarterback, but that's just not what I saw. And I'm happy to hear that's not what you saw either, because I actually thought it was, is the opposite. He was pretty aggressive in his reads and he was looking to attack, like you said, the turkey hole and, and also over the top. And this is really important. Like you said, for the Giants offense, I believe that, because the Giants weren't really aggressive in attacking it last year in Shermer's scheme, And like you said, it did improve with Eli uh, down the stretch um, to an extent, but because of that, it does affect the way that defenses play the Giants. And that gives them, in my opinion, an easier, an easier kind of route, I would say, or just an easier plan to attack the Giants and to stop the Giants. And I think that could really improve with Jones. And I was actually really impressed with, with his aggressiveness, which is something I just didn't see. Like, even for example, against Clemson, like he was taking shot after shot in this game and he remains aggressive downfield. You know, he didn't have his best game, um, uh, overall against that defensive line. It was, I just it was never going to happen in my opinion with that Duco line, but he's, he maintained his aggressiveness. And he even had a couple plays. I, there was two drops I wrote down where he threw a really nice seam ball, where it was just receiver on a third and three and he found the hole and his receiver dropped it. Um, You know, there were a couple, a couple other shots like that, where he threw some, like one of them, he even completed against Clemson where he had that nice, where he looked off and he hit the seam early in the game. So, you know, that's something big for me, the aggressiveness, but let's touch a little bit, Nick, as we transition to some of the things that concern us a lot. And we'll start with what you touched on really quickly there. And it's the decision-making for me. I I think that his decision-making is good when he has a predefined read um, and he can kind of and, and it's there, it's what he thought would be there, It's and and, he, and he's able to be aggressive in throwing it. But when he's, and this is something Dan Orlovsky obviously touched on, and we've talked about this before, but when he's kind of forced to make, his post snap, when he's kind of forced to do unexpected things after the snap, when things kind of are taken away from him, his decision making isn't always great. There are times where he's staring down receivers and he throws the football anyway, and it's late and it's almost intercepted or it's intercepted. You know, there was uh, the play in the, in the temple game, which is obviously his best statistical game where, you know, he's drifting left, he's drifting left, it's not there, it's not there. And he just kind of tries to throw a ball up to a receiver that's kind of breaking free, but he puts a lot of air under it and it's intercepted. So for you, is the decision-making something that wh- – where do you stand on Daniel Jones' decision-making? We'll put it that way.
2: Yeah, I can start off with the, the overall grade was uh, a four out of seven for me, which is kind of right around solid, right around just above average. Um, the weakness is kind of what Dan's touching on, but both Dan's are t- t- touching on. Orlowski and Schneier here. Um, the – when – okay, so – defenses at all at both levels, College and NFL, they changed things after the snap. When the change was something that that, that Jones didn't really anticipate or wasn't the usual answer from a pre, for, you know for the, from what it was pre-snap, he did struggle. Uh, in kind of understanding how to move to the next progression or the next read in the progression. So some guys call it different things. Greg Costell talks about eliminating a read within the progression. How do you isolate and eliminate within the progression? And it's very, very important. So I would step back the fight and go, hey, everything past his first read starts to get a little dicey for me. It starts to fit the profile a little bit of Nick Foles to bring him up again, where it's like, hey, well, why are you hanging on? I'm thinking of a, of a route I saw today where he's running four verts He's running a four verticals concept out of empty, which they run. They run empty like that was Cutcliffe's answer for everything was empty. Um, so the run. So he's got five wide receivers going downfield, and he, to the boundary, to the short side of the field, he sticks on the two vertical routes for like, I mean, two point five seconds easily to three seconds, where you don't see him hitching. You don't see his eyes through his feet, which means his feet kind of break down, and he just stays on it, and then he ends up escaping the pocket for an eleven yard gain. And people will go, "Oh, that's a great job." He escaped the pocket. Where other people might say, "Hey, look, he had an out route, a real quick out route to the side." From an efficient perspective, he can try that vertical route down the left side. Maybe come back to the vertical seam route on the right side, but then check it down and move on with your life, because that's what's going. That's what the NFL. That's what the NFL offenses have to do. The passing attacks have to do. So that that his decision making, I think it's a little into coaching and what he's being asked to do. I think it's a little bit into him as a within his, within his red shirt junior tape, which is effectively a senior tape, um, of, of him trying to kind of take a lot on his back and, and, and lead a team with, to be frank, like Dan has said, not many skill guys. Um, and I think it's kind of asking too much of himself at times to not maximizing structure and maximizing structure gets into like a conversation. If, you know, if you have. It basically summed up on everything past the first read. But if he's had a couple instances where he won't necessarily, it's not taking the aggressive angle. It's that it's not aggressive or passive. I would say it's what he sees first. If it follows from the pre-snap, he's going to stick with that. And then he's not going to allow the play to develop. And I think this comes back to, I think this whole thing centers back on his footwork and centers back on his ability and his habits of drifting in the pocket. And I guess we could kind of run with that in a second, but I think that's where that kind of comes from. Um, and and not having the confidence or the habits within the pocket to basically get to that second and third read to tie it all in—that's what I think Shermer thinks he can help him with. Because I don't think it's a throwing thing. I don't think it's a confidence thing. I think it's just a habit thing that he's developed while he was at Duke.
1: And so we'll touch on that now, Nick. Because I was going to get to that next anyway. And maybe it's because you put it in my head, Nick. But you know, you told me about you know you you kind of we were talking about it before. I saw it on your thread when you first put it out, and. It's the dri- it's his issue with drifting in the pocket um, and kind of locking onto the re- and for me it's kind of locking onto reads when he's drifting left and still making those throws so I, I want to ask you this we we both know you just pointed it out right there it's an issue with his game but what I what I when I you know when I'm valuing these quarterbacks and what in my opinion some of these issues are much easier fixing others like you just talked about it his mecha- throwing mechanics which we both agree are are pretty what well, they're they're good we're fine with where they're at. I don't think you can really fix that at the next level. And Then, if a quarterback, I remember people were talking about it with Josh Allen last year, uh, the Bills' quarterback, who, again, remember completed only fifty-two percent of his passes. Everyone talks about how good he was last year, and then I look at it, and he was at fifty-two percent completion rate. So, I mean, I don't really know how good that is. But you know, people are talking about can you fix a player like that, and you could fix that style. But I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. But when it comes to the footwork in the pocket, and I think that's, I think some of that could just be that you know he wasn't coached to do certain things. Or he wasn't really coached at all from that standpoint at Duke, where you know Cutcliffe's not leaning on that stuff. He's leaning on the, the the upper body stuff, the you know the ability to use his mind for things. So in my opinion, can you talk a little bit more? Let's 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 say this, Nick. We'll we'll do it this way. Can you talk a little bit more about what this issue is, and you talk a little bit more about why you think Pat Shermer and Mike Shula can fix that, and at the same time, are we already starting to see signs of that in the minicamp?
2: Yeah, that's a that, that's a good way to kind of point to it because let's start let, let's get real specific. What we're talking about is on throws to his left on his college tape. And throws to his left especially to the wide side of the field when throwing an out route. He a quarterback has a straight dr- straight back drop, right? At the top of his drop, he he should basically be deciding or should have decided whether or not he's going to throw his first read or not. That's the whole basis of timing which is consistent across all offenses. It's less consistent or it's less stringent in some than others, but it's pretty consistent. As he would then wait for the next receiver to get open or in some cases in the Duke offense, stay on the same read, as he hitches, he starts to drift to the left in the way the receiver is. That's a – it's a habit, and it's something that is very, very consistent. Now, sometimes it happens really, really aggressively where he hops, in some cases, like – three yards to his left. Sometimes it's only one to two yards. The key is if you have a if you have a pass set and you have a tackle who's let's say he's let's say he's just taking a jump set. If you start moving right. your launch point, that greatly debilitates his ability to make it to to block a defender because basically you're by the time he's hoping he can anchor the guy where you're trying to throw from. Yeah. So it it's it's to be fair, it's it's debilitating at times. Now part of this gets into and Dan asked the question very well well, if I'm seeing this consistently and I'm just a guy with Wi-Fi, right? Like why, you know, there's a phrasing in coaching. It's like you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. And I'm wondering what that coaching was like in the pocket because it's consistent and he consistently has issues with it, but yet it doesn't, it wasn't really quote unquote fixed and it didn't really show a lot of improvement. I think that that was something that, again, to be fair, I think that Cutcliffe doesn't emphasize the footwork as much because the quarterbacks he's had that have come out have all, have all basically had loose footwork per se. And it starts going way back to Peyton Manning, who, you know, was a great quarterback, obviously, but from what I had heard, he had basically gotten all that from his own habits himself at the NFL level, because he's just a maniac. It is a great professional. You know, I think that it's something that you saw in Eli Manning early in his career, throughout most of his career, he he doesn't have that ability with timing and rhythm in his feet. Um, I think it's, you see it with Jones. And I think but when, that this habit I think is two things. I think it's driven by the fact that it's a wide, it's it's a wide side of the field throw, and you got to wait on it. I think that ultimately it's just a habit where he's not used to delivering that ball with anticipation. So he's basically doing the exact opposite. But the receiver's breaking; he's hitching as he's breaking, and then he's delivering it as the guy comes uncovered. A wide throw to the field—that's a problem. And and again, in the Senior Bowl, that's where in the Senior Bowl practices it led to basically two interceptions. Nope. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. So, so that's, that's where the dynamic is. And, and you go, well, how do you fix that? Well, I'm not a quarterback coach, but I think that it's something that can be fixed because he's, I think he has the arms, the arm strength to do it. He does show the ability to make anticipation throws in other situations. So it's not that his, his mind eye doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, it's just something that with this specific throw, it's pretty consistent and it's something that, yeah, it's not going to be as prevalent at the NFL level because the hashes are tighter, right? So, The other side of this too, and this is where I think it gets really creative. I think Schirmer sees everything in mobility. So if you have a quarterback that wants to hitch and move to the target, we'll just fucking move him to the target. Right. Just just run the naked bootleg and get him going to the target. Like I I genuinely think that's the way Shermer thinks is not make him do something he doesn't want to do or his body's not agreeing to do it, but have like a happy medium of no, get him moving and then have and then work on this and then get him moving and have and work on this. I think that's that's the give and the take. I do think that this has to be solved with game reps, which is why I want to see him play. And I think that that's, it's not, it's not a mental rep thing. I think it's getting used to delivering that ball to, to, you know, in the five to 18 yard range to his left and just doing it over and over again. And I think it's one of those things, again, it's, I don't think it's a motion thing and, and, and we'll see. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm most excited to see how this, this, this develops because again, if it completely changes, yeah, then, then that's, then that's pretty cool. And I think that's, I think it absolutely can.
1: Yep, Nick, and you say a lot – you brought up a lot there that I wanted to quickly touch on and breach with you. Um, for starters, I agree with you. This is something that I think can be fixed with good coaching at the NFL level. And I and I read – you know, one thing that always stands out to me, Nick, and I think either you sent this to me directly or I saw this on Twitter. Uh, maybe you retweeted it. Um, this was a while back. But it was – I think it was – it wasn't McVay. It was one of these new-age uh, new, new age coaches. And, you know, I call him a new-age coach, whatever it is. One of these top offensive coordinators, offensive minds, who, who talked about how he believes that, you know – quarterbacking today is mostly played from within a phone booth. And he was trying to say that the old school thinking is if a quarterback takes all his snaps under shotgun, and by the way, Jones took a lot of his snaps under shotgun, the vast majority, but he's actually well more well-prepared to play at the NFL level because everything's from a phone booth and you don't really want to be doing the things you're talking about, hitching and hitching and moving and drifting left with your footwork. Because like you said, it screws up the tackles. It screws up the entire play. So I think it's something that can be fixed. Now, I don't think, like we said, I don't think arm mechanics can be fixed, things like that. but I think it's something that can be fixed with good coaching, but I'm kind of agreeing with you, Nick. I think a lot of it just comes down to game reps. And I don't think it's something that, you know, you're going to see, you know, he's going to make these improvements in minicamp. And there's easy solutions you talk about, like just running more naked bootlegs and moving the pocket. But that's not an everyday solution, Nick. Am I right? Because, you know, we've seen them try those type of things against, for example, the Saints. They were running that a lot last year, the Texans, all these early games and. And then the defensive end doesn't, doesn't crash and he's ready for the play. And then now, now we're talking about an eight yard loss on a sack, something like that. So would you agree that it's, it's moving the pocket is one solution, but it's not the be all end all in the end. This is something he's going to have to improve at the NFL level with Shermer's help.
2: Absolutely. I, I guess what I'm just saying is it's not a rigid structure where he's going to be asked to drop back 35 times, right, right. straight drop back thing where it's like, Hey, you're putting the, you know, you're putting the nail, you know, you're trying to fit the, the square peg into the round hole. Um, I think that it's going back to his ability to it's 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 like it's like what great play calling is modifying the play calling mix not doing anything crazy or anything super innovative and all that type of thing it's uh, generally most offenses run the same basically call it 30 plays um, across all different types of strategies it's getting that mix right for him and and yeah and then and then the other side of it is it absolutely has to improve and I think it yeah like we said I think it can.
1: Yeah, and before we move on to uh, kind of an overall, we're going to do a little overall evaluation of Jones and how he fits this offense. Before we do that, I did want to touch on one more thing, Nick, um, when it comes to his decision-making. And you talked about, you know, we talked about where he is pre-snap versus post-snap, but we didn't really talk about the fact that is he the type, because obviously he has a very high mental aptitude based on everything, you know, 37 score on the wonderlick. known as a very bright kid, working hard. Like, uh, the Giants coaches have talked about how, impressed they were with how he's picked up the offensive scheme already. And to the point where he's at now, you know, I've read, I I read somewhere where he was on a flight with, with one of the giants teammates and they said all he was doing was watching film. So is this an area where you think he can make big strides at the next level uh, from a post snap standpoint, or is that kind of more natural in your opinion of quarterbacks is, am I making enough sense with that question? Do you get where I'm going?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's where, um, it's funny, when you evaluate a lot of quarterbacks, you kind of start seeing a lot of them through the same lens. And I actually, as an evaluator in self-evaluation, I'm trying to think, am I seeing too much of it that way, right? Because I've, I've evaluated a fair amount of NFL quarterbacks this, this offseason. It's like, yeah, you see it there too. So the bottom line is like, it's not just, it's not, it's not the, it doesn't cross off a quarterback from being eligible at the NFL level. I absolutely do not think that. The best example, and the way I'm answering your question to come at it from the other way, is he's very similar to Jared Goff, I think. And Jared Goff took his team pretty far. So I think that you have you have something that is not debilitating and that can improve, but it's going to take different steps. And some guys reach different levels and they go through different kind of ebbs and flows where it really, really works and they, they're, they're humans. And that snapshot where it was working doesn't follow through the snapshot in the next four to five weeks where it doesn't work as much. And, and that's a great that's a great point for Jared Goff this season. The back half of the season, he struggled. And he struggled specifically in, in that regard. So I think it's something that, yeah, it's, it's not debilitating. And can it – or it's not the built It it can improve. And I do question to come back to it a little bit. Um, Dan, you, you made a great point. He When he was at Duke, you saw him in that Clemson game make a lot of isolation throws, right? Like you saw him make a lot of fade attempts against that pass rush. All he could do. (laughs) Well, all he could do, but a guy like me, you know, I wrote my, my notes. It was like, what the hell is the offensive coordinator doing? He's putting him in empty (laughs) against the best front on the face (laughs) of the fucking planet. Like, how about you try to hit him with quick slants? or maybe they didn't think that they could win early. There's ways to do that where you could balance or run a screen once. Right. Right. like. Like there. So I do think, to really say this. I think that the play calling mix wasn't awesome for him, and I don't think that that Cutcliffe runs anything that fucking special. And so, when I see that, I see a guy who's being who's being asked to to throw a lot of isolate a lot of routes in isolation, you know, and he's struggling with it in a game that's really really hard. You know, I'm not going to sit here and fault the quarterback. I'm going to throw in the notes like, hey, like you know, what's going on here? Is this is this is this consistent across all games? Is this X Y and Z? What does this look like? Because that's not what. Pat Shermer and most of the guys underneath him yep. read that's not what they asked their quarterbacks to do. So I think a big part of this is going to be, he's going to be asked to do a separate, a, a new line of kind of assignments versus what he's had in the past.
1: It's interesting. You say that Nick, because I know me and you stand a little differently on this and you don't want to not, you don't want to have too many excuses for these guys, but I will say this, Nick, when you, when you start to tally it all up with the, from the play calling standpoint, which we both agree and you especially agree is not, was not great there. The mix there. From the, the coaching standpoint, um, which again you can you can go either way because you know maybe you can credit Cutcliffe for for the mechanics and for uh, how advanced he was from that standpoint and, and from getting to his first read and things like that. But you know the footwork we talk about was an issue and it came up and it showed up and it stopped him a lot of times. And then you also look at the fact that listen there's no player on this Duke roster that's been drafted besides Jones since 2015. And this offensive line is none of them are even going to make a practice squad. And, you know, maybe ramming his best receiver might get a a look at the NFL level at some point, but he's probably not going to make it either. So to me, Nick, I think that plays a role in a sense that, you know, I'm not going to say it gets me excited, but it's like, where, what, what would he have been on a different team? I do kind of feel that way. When I watch Jones, I really do believe that because he is good at getting the ball. Um, to his players in space, and he is good at throwing what you said, which is a runner's ball, which, you know, he's not – he wasn't at Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins' level of that. Would you agree with that, obviously?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you start getting into individual stuff to individual stuff, you know, from player to player standpoint, yeah. You know, I don't think you're really speaking out of school when Dwayne Haskins was the best pocket passer sure. in this draft. Right. Did he that? No. Um, you know, I think that Murray is the most explosive guy. I almost think he's the most explosive player in this draft, right? I mean, how can you, it's hard to argue against that. So yeah, no, I think that there's a, there was a pecking order.
1: And I um, no, but not even just overall, Nick, I just think in the sense those two really stood out to me. And I know we really talked about on another podcast just with, the, with their, with their placement and throwing like that runner's ball. But I do think that, like you said, that's something that I was impressed with with Jones while watching him. And I, and I know you kind of feel the same way. Am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely.
1: And that's what I think makes him a good fit for Shermer's offense. And I want to get to that now, Nick, I want to talk about, before we get into our overall, what, we're, what we think he does best and what our main concerns are moving to the next level, which most of which we've touched on already, I want to ask you really where you think he fits for the Giants, for Pat Shermer and his offensive scheme.
2: Yeah, I think that you're going to see it in kind of three or four main areas. Um, we've we've hit we've hit a lot of them before, but the one thing that we've let, we've left out a little bit is the RPO game, yeah. which he ran very very efficiently for for Duke. And to get back to the whole Clemson thing, like why wasn't it, it run more versus Clemson? I don't know. There's probably a good reason for it, but you didn't see it as much versus Clemson, and and that is basically a very simplified, in some cases pre-snap, most cases one read post snap um to to basically elect the run or elect the pass, two plays called basically simultaneously simultaneously. Um, and yeah, I think he he did that very, very well. And you go, well, what does that mean? I haven't seen that as much in the Giant offense. Well, let's just take a step back. The Giants ran that a little bit on the pre-snap basis and and Manning struggled. Uh, Manning struggled in identifying Manning struggled for a few reasons. Let's just forget that for a second. What's really interesting that not very few people are talking about is is Mike Shula integrated both traditional option and RPO looks for Cam for Cam Newton in in Carolina. And he did that coming marrying it with a vertical passing f- passing scheme. You know, Cam basically, it was, it was a lot of throws down the field. And he was able to do that very, very well. And so I think that's what you're gonna see. When people go, what, What's the play calling They're gonna look on the RPO perspective? It's gonna be a lot of inside zone with play with passes tagged to it. That's the base. Outside of that, as the years go on, I'm kind of excited because there was a lot of shit that he did from integrating power read, yeah. integrating all types of things that get very, very interesting. And what you start to look the offense starts to look like, and look, I'm just a massive Joe Moorhead guy. It starts to look like the Penn state offense in 2016 with Joe Moorhead. And that's where it gets really cool because if you start opening up the space yeah. and, you, and you start basically dictating to defense is what they can and can't do based upon what they do, free snap, you're, you start killing people. And especially with a guy like Saquon Barkley. So I do believe that 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 actually opens up the most the most for Saquon Barkley. Forget all the production for the receivers. I almost, you know, I, I don't really know there. I think that the Barkley benefits the most. So I think you see it from a bootleg naked perspective, an RPO perspective, which will tie in a little bit to the screen game as well. Um, and just an answer with all of those answers within the quick game, which will help their pass pro. You know, I know that there's a big sentiment out there for, for the Giants offense to have this perfected unit that's awesome and just, you know, provides for pass protection no matter what. And that just simply isn't the case. And I think that if you have the elements we just described in there, it makes your offensive line look a shitload better. And that is, I think that's the best side of it where, you know, hey, at right tackle, you have, you have a guy now who's solid, but he's not your answer longer term. There's going to be different guys at different positions here as they as they grow this thing. And I think that a guy like Jones is well-prepared early on to be able to help that line grow.
1: Yeah, you bring up some excellent points there, Nick. Just really points that I think needed to be touched on here because I I did see success with the RPO game and even the zone read for easy solutions uh, during his tape that I watched at Duke just – easy solutions either via the run game or the quick passing game, And then he kind of gets into grooves like he did versus Temple with the RPO in the red zone too, where you just see multiple touchdowns at the end of that Temple game where he really took over the game. They were down 20 to seven and ended up winning like 56 to 28. Um, And with the red, with the RPO game in the red zone. And I think really what you touched on Nick, and this is probably meant for another podcast uh, eventually, once we finally get to see Jones in the game and and to see, or even in preseason action, but It's really what you bring up, the most exciting thing, I think, that at all, everything we've said about Jones and we've touched on, you know, how he can help them in the predefined quick game. We've touched on how he can help them in the screen game with the bootleg, with throwing on the run with, you know, throwing a runner's ball to these crossers routes that are so important in Patrick's offense. But really, what really excites me the most is what you said about spacing. And it's really what it comes down to is if you can start to use the space in the backfield with two athletes like Jones and Barkley back there, what you're able to do is start dictating to the defense, which is what you said perfectly, because that's not something the Giants offense has done for so long. I believe it's something they did at one time during that 2011 season. That run and shoot, that, that essentially what it was was a run and shoot vertical attacking offense with Gilbride. They were dictating that year. They really were. They were taking shots downfield. They were forcing defenses to really be put in tough spots and a lot of pressure on deep coverage. But I really don't feel like we've seen that since. Even with McAdoo, um, Nick during that 2014-2015 season when Eli, you know, had his mini resurgence, a lot of that was just was just quick games. A lot of just quick slants. A lot of you know stuff like that that you know they were doing a really good job with at the time. That like you said, really you know Mac. To improve Eli's footwork at the beginning, um, with, with in relation to his system, but I still don't feel like they were ever dictating to the defense, like like you saw with Joe Moorhead in that Penn State team with Barkley and and McSorley, and that's really where it's interesting. If you can get those two athletes in the backfield, you know what else can you do from that standpoint? Um, but Nick, I mean, we could go over this again, but I think most of what you know just really run back at what we thought best, what we saw, what we thought we saw best from Jones was again his poise and grit and toughness in the pocket. Throwing on the run, his runner's ball and crossing routes, um, you know, and re- and his reads early in the down, his first reads and his aggressiveness uh, with his first read. Now, like we said, some of the concerns, pocket movement, you know, the, the drifting to the left, the crow hopping, his footwork and his decision making beyond that first read, which, which again, like Nick said, comes down to play speed as well. Um, and that's going to be different at the NFL and the college level. Those are our main concerns. But now that we've kind of gone over all that, Nick, I want to dive into the questions if we're good with that, because I think a lot of these questions are excellent. And to me, this is the best set of questions we've gotten from our listeners in any podcast. And they're all specific to Daniel Jones. So I think, you know, some of this, again, some of the questions you guys have, we've touched on already. We'll go over more briefly now. And I would say that just, you know, run it back, run the podcast back if you want to hear more on them um, or, you know, if you just got to this point. So, We'll start with Giovanni Ibera Nick, who says, "Other than his mental makeup, what do you think Gettleman and the Giants saw in Jones's physical game uh, that made him our guy?"
2: Yeah, I think that yeah, the 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 main things the mobility, um, and and the, the mobility and the ability to hang in the pocket, and then, um, you know, the the uh, yeah, kind of those kind of basically what we talked about and this and again just to kind of answer this question this way is like daniel jeremiah had this thing um, on on his podcast where he described hey we have to show this through the lens when we do, when we break down basically picks in the wake of the draft you can't show it on your grading where you had the guy you have to show it on where the team had the guy because that's the most important thing to try to put your to, to, to give people insight into what they're what's to, to what they're thinking and you know to get really into it i'm just instead of just keeping on saying mobility i would go as far as to say they had mobility over pocket over pocket passing ability in general, which I didn't think they would. Now, what does that mean? It means nothing. Cause I'm just a guy on the outside. What they, they're telling you through their actions that the mobility was the bigger, was the bigger value for them from a trade perspective. Now right. that's not the only thing they have because they, they throw the whole package together. And I think that's what gets into a draft pick too is his markability, his ability to be a teammate, his ability to represent the franchise that matches and we get all that. But from the tape perspective, that one item surprised me the most but it doesn't mean it obviously doesn't mean that that it's wrong. It makes it means that it, it's kind of interesting, because that to me signals signals a little bit of change in the way they thought. Because I'm kind of answering another question that's coming up soon. But and where guys have said, you know, um, or some people have said that basically that Jones is kind of like the mashup of Peyton and Eli Manning. I, I don't think that could be. I can't. I don't think that could be any farther from the truth you know, other than maybe if you want to do like the look and the fact that they're tall yeah. white guys, you know, great. Like that's, that's, that's fucking awesome. But from a trade perspective, he's way different than both of them. Yeah. And that's what I think is kind of interesting. It's like you take, you have to think out of the box a little bit to understand where they're, where they think they're going with it. And that, that's what gets interesting.
1: Yep. And that's exactly right. They're not, they're not building, they're not fitting this exact mold of Eli Manning. Like everybody seems to think so. This is a different style of quarterback. And I'll, I'll, it kind of leads to another question here. Um, from Adam Johnson, who says, hey, fellas, do you guys think that when Daniel Jones officially becomes the starter, the offensive scheme will be similar to the Vikings offense in 2017 with Case Keenum as a quarterback, mixing in more RPOs, uh, and then eventually making it more dynamic?
2: way well, that should question two is, number one, the RPO level was, it was, it was about the same, it, it was kind of, it was not really super prevalent, um, because Case Keenum doesn't, I mean, it, it's not he like it doesn't really do that. They just didn't run a ton of that as much. Um, I think the RPO element will come in from Shula, like 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 we had described. And I think that the I think that Schermer's offense looked, besides the screen element, and besides the kind of the stretches of running a lot of runs, which was certainly prevalent in, with Minnesota. Because to be frank, they had a better running game. Um, I think that the offenses were pretty similar in 17 to 18 and from a, from a, a stylistic or play calling perspective now to really get to it. will it look, like, I think that's the, I think that's his foundation. I think that's, that Shermer's base where the play, where the playbook goes after is where I think it, it gets kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, and so our, we're going to go to the next one here. Armchair GM, and this is an interesting one to me asks, I would love to hear what how you guys want to see Daniel Jones used in the run game versus how you think Sherman will use him in that regard. And for example, how often, when will he, when will he use him there? Where and where will he use him there? The the the, the first
2: place right off the bat, and we've talked on this a bunch of times, not on this yeah. podcast, but on others, is in the red zone.
1: I knew you were going
2: <laughs> like in the red zone, it changes the game, and 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 I think that you can manufacture drives and get the ball down the field but punching the ball in is something that is, you know, it's, it's tough for everybody. Um, and it's even tough for, you know, a small amount of space with a small, with it with a tight box that, that, that Barkley has to move from move in. I think that, yeah. Are you going to use Daniel Jones on 10 keeps a game? And when I say keeps meaning the uh, inside zone um, zone replay where he either gives it or keeps it, is he going to have 10 of those keeps and have basically 10 to 12 rushes? No, that's, excuse me, that's a little, that's a little tough at this level, right? Because of the injury factor. So what is interesting though, is the bona fide threat of the quarterback to run is huge. And if it's th- even just three to six plays yep. if it's, it's that, that alone, and especially in the, in the far red zone to the, to the, to the short red zone that can absolutely change chicken, can change an offense. So I think you will see that. I think you'll see him there with, I actually think you'll see him there with Eli Manning as the starter. I don't think it has to be, Eric Dungy coming in in that, in that kind of role where he's basically replacing the quarterback. I think they'll use Jones because why not? He's a really good athlete. You know, people love to jump on in lane like that. There was slander being tossed around that some teams wanted to work out Jones as a tight end. I don't think he has the physical profile, but he has the talent because he's a super athletic guy who is very, very smart. And so I think, yeah, you can absolutely use him as kind of a wild card with with Eli Manning in, uh, under under center or at wide, wherever he goes. I think that's what's kind of interesting. So I think the red zone is kind of the spot right away. Um, and I think that what that can unlock going forward for different types of zones is is is, is the potentials there.
1: Man, Nick, if I if I get what you just said, Nick, and I get a shot and I get a chance to see Daniel Jones coming <laughs> into the red zone and helping this team. While Manning, is still named, while Manning is still the starter, I will know that we've officially entered a new era of Giants football, and I'll be excited because that's not something I totally expect from this franchise. But, you know, listen, it's somewhere they can help him right away. I agree with you entirely. It doesn't have to be Eric Dungy, which I'm not even sold they would have done anyway. But I completely agree with you, and we'll see what happens there. Um, kind of leads us into our next question, though, Nick. Uh, this is from Jeff Hall. Jeff Hall wants to know, what week will we see Daniel Jones start his first game?
2: And this is, a, this is a tough one because it gets into okay, it, it, maybe answering instead of the what week to kind of come at it. Like, I think if he can show in camp and and almost like basically um, compete and, and make it a tough starting job competition, which I think he will. Um, and I think if the Giants are basically just under 500 in a week six to seven type area, I think they're going to play him. Now, I don't think they're going to play him in some vindictive way to to get Manning off the field or to do whatever they have to do. It, I almost think it has nothing to do with Manning. I think it actually goes back to all the things that we talked about, where he needs improvement. I think he needs improvement in game reps, and I would much rather see that at, at multiple points <clears throat> this coming season than than in just starting in 2020 with basically no one, you know, no other quarterback or no other significant quarterback around. Um, if if that makes sense, because I do think that yeah, he he needs game reps there, and and the game, the more game reps the earlier, the better. I do think that if they are three and four, and and there's elements where, you know, um, they think they can turn around with a catalyst at the at the quarterback position, they're going to take that chance.
1: Yeah, Nick, um, I'm going to answer this one a little bit differently, and it's a great question, Jeff Hall. I think it's on the minds of every single Giants mm-hmm. fan. And when you look at it kind of from the schedule standpoint, originally your mind always wants to think. Okay, he'll come in and he'll start after the bye. He has then he has 2 weeks to prepare. It gives him extra time, but it really doesn't the bye doesn't really come in a good spot for this plan because A the Giants have a late bye week in week 11. So, you know, then Jones would only be getting in 5 star which I don't think is enough personally. Um, or, okay. But also B, they'd have to go into Chicago against arguably the best defense in the NFL coming out of the bye. And that was what you would give Jones' first start a late, I don't know. What is it? A late November, cold, windy Chicago game against the best defense. So I don't think that's going to happen. I actually, you know, I was, I've going back gone back and forth on this question, Jeff, for a little while. And I think me and Nick talked about this before the podcast, um, little bit and we're kind of starting to come to the same agreement on this I think we think that this could very well be another Kurt Warner Eli Manning situation from 2004 just fast forward and Eli plays the Kurt Warner role and Jones plays the Eli Manning role in 2019 15 years later now some people will tell you that's not going to happen you know Kurt Warner didn't have any standing with the franchise he came in as a free agent there was no Kurt Warner Giants lore like there is of Eli Manning but I, the more I start to watch this team and the more I start to read Kurt, uh, you know, and listen to Coach Sherm, Kurt Shermer, I really do believe that he does want an upgrade at this position, and he does believe Jones can do it. So like Nick said, if you're sitting at, let's say, 3-4, and four, or let's say they, they can find a way to beat the Bills and, and the Bucks early on in the season, and now they have an example where, listen, they're going into the Patriots game, they lose that game, and now they're at 2-3. and three. But they have the stretch against the Cardinals and the Lions— with beatable games, and the season's still on the line, and they believe that, hey, our defense is playing at a level where we can win. Hey, our run game is playing at a level where we can win, and they have the tools to win, and and yet they're just not winning these games because of the quarterback play or because the quarterback play is not being the catalyst, like Nick said. I do think they're going to make the change, and I know people will be surprised to hear that, but I really think you could start to see Jones in this game around that week six game – or I'm sorry, week seven game it should be, after so, then it would be either three and three or two and four at that point. After that Patriots game on the road, and it would start with a home game against the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't think there's really a better game. I mean, putting the, obviously the Eli Manning suffer side and all that aside, I don't think there's a better game for him to start than that Week Seven game because it's against the Cardinals at home. The Cardinals were the worst team in the NFL last year. They have a decent defense. They have Chandler Jones, but. It's a game that you can get him a win early on and then you can get him into a stretch of games where he has just the Lions in week eight and then the Cowboys in Detroit. Obviously, not not the uh, to me, it's a beatable game. And then at home against the Cowboys and then against the Jets. That's a four-game stretch before the bye week that I think is perfect for Jones to come in for. Um, so that's where I'm targeting, uh, Jeff. All right, we'll move on to another question. This is from Steve Hall. I wonder if he's at all related to Jeff Hall. I'm not sure. On that note, uh, but he asked, "What mentor relationship do you see? Uh, do you think Eli Manning and Daniel Jones will have? Will it resemble, you know, a Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, a Favre, Rogers, more of a Smith, Mahomes, or kind of a a, a, a Foles, Carson Wentz? Where, where do you see it, Nick?
2: You know, not knowing the dynamic of Eli in the in the in the quarterback room, from what you can envision, though, from him just being like obviously an absolute total professional, I would, you know, I think it's hard to say that he'll be anything other than an absolute total professional." I do think that he's an absolute competitor. Um, so he's not going to want to, you know, give up anything or, or, you know, or basically kind of like, you know, go out, really go out of his way there. But I think absolutely they have the established relationship before. They have the same quarterback coach uh, on the private side. I can't remember the guy's name. He's, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's very, he's highly associated with the, or strongly associated with the Manning Passing Academy, that type of thing. So they, they definitely know each other pretty well going into it. It's not something where it's a, you know, it's it's two random people that have to that kind of work through this. Um I, mean, I think Manning's gonna be a good teammate. I think that's I think that's I think that's kind of why the Giants have been so good to him is because he's that way and he'll I think he'll be that way through however this goes down because it's it's you know it's, it's a long relationship.
1: Yeah, to me, I, I mean I, I definitely don't see it being a Flacco Lamar Jackson situation or a Far broad, just like you said. And it's not a Smith Mahomes either, because Smith was so highly efficient that last year in Casey. And, you know, I just don't foresee that problem with, with Eli. But I think the one I think really makes the most sense is kind of the Bradford Wentz. Bradford was there, the year Wentz was in there, and then the Eagles got to a point where they were just like, you know, we can't, we can't, we can no longer justify playing Bradford over Wentz. And I think the Giants will get to that same point, uh, Nick. So that's the one that kind of stands out to me there. Um, we'll move on here, though. Uh, Armchair GM asks, what's the biggest change we will see in Pat Shurmur's offense when Jones takes over, if any?
2: uh it definitely gets into the, the presence of post snap rpos because you had the pre-snap a little bit um but you'll have um you'll have answers to things where for both a box count and then you reading players after the snap which is usually the sixth or seventh man it's kind of phrased as around the box um that is i think that's we'll immediately see the change um i think you're going to see the same level of boots i think you're going to see the same basically the same level of quick game Um, and what I will think you'll see. And I saw this when I was watching, I was rewatching Jones again this morning. I think you're going to see a little bit more of the, um, of the kill game coming. And what I mean by the kill game is where two, where two plays are called in the huddle and the, and the quarterback has to make the decision of what to do at the, at the snap. Usually that's, or not the snap in the pre-snap phase. Usually that's reserved for the, for the, I would say it was more reserved for the red zone uh, for the giants recently. I think you're going to see more of that because Jones did actually a very, very, very good job of that um, within, within cut close offense. So I think you'll actually see that expanded as well.
1: That's interesting for sure uh, there. Cause that's something I didn't pick up on Nick. Um, We'll move on though here. Uh, Justin Panic asks, even though it's close to impossible, uh, what are your thoughts on Jones starting right away? I'm of the belief that the more he plays, the better it suits us for up to two years and beyond. Uh, some people value the mental reps more, uh, kind of referencing the Mahomes thing. What are your guys' thoughts?
2: Yeah, this gets into do. I don't think he needs a lot of mental reps. I think it's the physical, the physical reps are absolutely needed. I think that if he, do I think he could win the starting job? Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I don't think it's probable. Um, I don't think it's likely, but I think he absolutely could. And, and I, I kind of said this last year when Shermer was going through, not, not the same decision, certainly, but with a court with Eli Manning and, to bend the, the back half of the season. And I thought that it would come down to if, if, he thought a quarterback could play better than the incumbent, he would play the, he would play that player, whoever that player was, if it was Tanny or Laletta. Um, I kind of think the same thing here. Because I think Patchermer is a center at heart. His dad's a defensive, as a great, was a great defensive coordinator. That's the way he thinks. Um, you know, I could see him kind of not doing it in a disrespectful way, but I could see him if you know if, if one guy made the charge for the job. I think that he that they could get it pretty quickly. Um, so I think it's possible, but not but not probable.
1: Yeah, I think they're. I mean, knowing this franchise the way I do, Justin, I think they're going to start Eli uh, for Week One now. I'm of the belief that mental reps are are pretty much BS. I think you need to get in there. You need to get the game reps. You need to get them as fast as possible. I agree with your assessment here, Justin. The faster they get him in, the better this franchise is. I think he should start week one. I, I don't think he will. I think he should. I don't think he will. Again, I just and, and this goes back to what we've talked about over and over on this podcast. Me and Nick just don't see a high ceiling uh, for this Giants team with Eli anymore. And, and that's tough to say. I understand. And we might be wrong. Uh, we're hoping we're wrong. But I think... For the future of this franchise, the best option would be to start Jones week one. But again, um, I I mean, I guess we're answering a question there. Where do we see, where do we both value the mental versus the physical reps? And both me and Nick are strong in our assessment that you need to get on the field. You need the physical reps. I know there's these examples of like, Rogers sat a year, a couple year, whatever it was. Mahomes sat a year. I know, but we're also talking about Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Literally the two best arm talents I've ever watched play the NFL game. Literally, that one and two. Number one and two there. So I don't think it's a it's a fair comparison from that standpoint. Um, Rob asks us, I believe it was Dan Orlovsky who was breaking down tape with DJ. And if I'm correct, seems to state that he was concerned with the way Jones has certain issues dealing with a solid pass rush. I'd like to know if you guys have any concerns there, and if so, specifically what?
2: Yeah, so we went over this one. I will answer this a little more pointedly, though. Um, I don't think it's specifically just to pass rush alone. Um, I think that he, you know, with a predefined read out of empty – against you know a five-man box where they mic the five guys, meaning they're basically one-on-one blocking the five that he has in front of them, and that pass rush beats their man. One of those guys beats their man. I think if within a first read, he's, 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 he's pretty good. His poise is pretty good. I think where the difficulty lies is the other things that go on, the other elements of the defense that give him pause. That's where you have the issue. And then the pressure, the panic comes in when, or that's what Dan Orlovsky referenced. The panic comes in when, he kind of has to work through a, a, a solution, either off schedule or to basically stay within the structure of the offense and move to the next read. So I, I I don't think it's specific to pressure because again, you know he's got a lot of examples where he's hanging in and about to deliver that ball and he's making the right read and he's getting smoked in the face. There's just a lot of those examples. Now I'm not I'm not trying to like make it I'm not trying to make an Eli slight here, but if you watch the Manning offense again, you don't see that a lot last year you see that a lot where the pocket breaks breaks down and he's kind of moving along or trying to escape. It's, it's a different, it's a different dynamic.
1: Yep. yep exactly right. That's a hundred percent true. And that's, again, I mean, they've to touched on this a few times so far, but that's one area we really think this offense can improve with Jones in the game. Um, Stevie Bob asked, I want to know whether you believe the perception of Jones as a round two, three quarterback was fair and whether his performance thus far has any bearing on the pre-draft assessment or is it too early?
2: I think that, you know, where people think he's going to get drafted, myself included, and a lot of people, you know, that, that's that's kind of a guess as to where, um, as to where he will be. I think that – or where he'll go. So I think it's – do I think it's fair? I mean, I think it's fair that one team really wanted him and got him, um, you know, and, and other people were, quote, unquote, wrong in their, where they thought he would go. Priest, uh, one thing I'll note from the, um, from the OTAs, which is mostly an install period, for the entire team to basically go over the the install which is the base of plays they're going to run for the majority of the year. Um I absolutely think that whoever is coaching him or talking to him has told him like hey be very decisive be very aggra- be very aggressive in your ability to work on the things that you are weakest because I think he's shown the ability to to be very quick in his, to, to improve his play speed to get to to get to the bottom line. Even though these are basically reps and shorts, I think that still counts as as a movement towards towards something good. And I think that when you see it and you see him, you read beat writers writing that he has a presence and he has an ability to basically run the offense. I, I would kind of summarize that, envision that from the little tape that we have seen or the footage that we've seen, you know, he's, that he's delivering up all fast and quick. And I think that's a, that's a big, big step, you know, as a, as the first step that's of many, nice. as he works towards the, to camp.
1: Yeah. And you, t- you brought it up there. I mean, like, I'll say this, Stevie Bob, personally, I think a lot, I'll just be honest here. I think, and I've been at training camp. I've seen these practices. I don't think you see as much as you think you see at these. It's made out to see as these practices. Like for example, like for OTAs, you're watching the, the the plays from seventy, fifty, seventy-five yards away. And sure, like people are lauding Jones for his arm strength and stuff like that. But they're also comparing it to reps against a thirty-eight-year-old quarterback and against Alex Tanney, a thirty-one-year-old journeyman who arm talent and arm strength was one of the reasons he never made it in the NFL. And obviously Kyle Oletta started working a little bit, another guy who, you know, you wouldn't say has the biggest arm. So that I don't judge that much, but I think what Nick's saying is actually important and true. His quick, his quickness in his reads and his ability to kind of quickly diagnose the shots that he wants to take down the field and be more aggressive with. That's what excites me. I think about what we've seen so far with Jones and the OTAs and the mini camp. Now, for me, I I, I didn't have as, as low of a grade, I guess, as Nick would. From just that standpoint, because I, I also am factoring in, you know, the importance of the position. I always factor in positional scarcity when I'm when evaluating. It. But for me, it was kind of more of a top forty, top forty five overall player type example with Jones, the way I saw it. But again, like I said, it's it's not going to matter if. He is a better fit for this Giants offense and for what Pat Schumer wants to do. And if he can get to the level we talked about where this is an offense that uses space and uses spacing to really dictate to the defense and attack the defense, then it's not going to matter. If he's the right fit for the Giants, it, it won't matter You know where we thought he was uh, uh, overall or any kind of rant round we can assign or, or overall number grade we can assign to him in the end. So I think that's important to note as well. Uh, John asks, everyone talks about the Manning connection with Jones. With that said, do you think Jones will have the same type of style on the field as Eli? And I know we touched on this, but if you want to briefly go back on it, uh, Nick.
2: Yeah, yeah, for that one, I think that it's it's a different style in the sense that, um, you know, he's he's much more mobile and athletic and ability to break big plays. And, um, you know, I think you see when you see a lot of Manning tape from like 09 through 12, you see a guy who runs around the pocket as much, a, a lot, but he's really not even taking a drop. He's kind of taking the ball and running and like – you know Manning. Manning is a good athlete too, but in a different type of way. So I think it's it's a, it's a it's it will be a different offense, and he's a he's definitely a different style of player. A lot of guys have made the player comp to Ryan Tannehill. Um, I can see that for sure. I would again. I go back to Goff. I kept on going back to Goff, and I kept on going back to. I didn't write it down who the other guy was as I was watching the tape for 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 where his development path what that will look like.
1: Yep. Um, all right. Giant Shit has asked you and Nick. Both were very down on the pick. I recall both saying he was an NFL backup type with major concerns about arm strength. I, I don't. I never said he was an NFL backup, but developmental. But seeing his athleticism, downfield touch, screen game, and RPO, I feel better about the pick now, especially in Pat Shermer's offense.
2: Yeah, I think that you know when when guys like me look at a grade and we say, hey, like you know, there's this, the part of it where we think he's going to get drafted. You know, when I see a guy who's developmental in the pocket game, I don't think he can be a first rounder that's just my opinion and to be quite frankly it means nothing um you know because of the traits that they value which we went through um I think that yeah I think that has it I don't think it's really changed I think that I've again to take the Daniel Jeremiah stance I've tried to take through see it through the lens of what the team cares about what the team is telling you through the picks as well as through the rest of their offensive makeup and I, that's the lens that we're trying to stretch to show it through here um so Yeah, do I do do I see it through their lens more so now, but my effectively my grade doesn't change because the issues are still the issues that that were there. It it's not a lot of it's not a lot of actual change in the tape. It's it's seeing what the team thinks they can harness the best side of him and basically minimize minimize his downside and then improve things over time. Um, You know that's what they think. There's nothing more clear than than taking a player right than 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 saying that. So I think that, but for but specifically, it doesn't it doesn't like I wouldn't like grade him in the first round now. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good quarterback. <laughs> By the way, It doesn't mean he's going to be a great quarterback. It just it means that the tape is what the tape is, and you know, and and we'll see how it goes going forward.
1: Yep, I think I agree spot on with everything you just said there to the to the last to the very last point, Nick, which is probably the most poignant one I think you made there. Um, last question here for the day, Zach, and it's actually off topic. Our first off topic question, Zach Mahoney asks, which is great because I said any questions go, and that that goes for all these podcasts. Zach Mahoney asks, can you tell me the coverage grades? Last year between Ogletree and Goodson, I honestly thought Goodson did a better job covered I'm not sure why they put Tay Davis in for him instead of Ogletree. So I'll let Nick touch on the why did they play Dave, Tay Davis um, at, 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 at Goodson uh, instead or in Goodson's spot, I should say, instead of Ogletree. So I think it's a schematic thing. So first touch on that, and then I'll get to the grades.
2: Right on the, uh, I would definitely say that Goodson in zone has the ability to. Um, to mirror and match from a solid in a solid way and and it's basically overall to cut short he's a pretty good is a good enough zone player on at, at either stack linebacker position um i think that where he fell into issues in the middle part of the season when he played and i can't remember his exact game because he was injured during part of that i believe um or was just kind of shut down further in the in the uh in the um in the depth chart it's two things going on. Number one, he's a little, his assignment soundness within the defense was, was tough. And he had a couple of missed assignments that were, that that led to big plays. That was a tough one. The other side of it too is when you're talking about unseating Ogletree, that's not going to really work because he's basically the veteran guy who's calling the plays. So that you're going to make a statement to your defense by basically benching him for a guy. The other side is the way they play so much nickel and dime. That you're not going to have a lot of chances to move that guy on, and that's kind of the way Betcher wants to run it. is is not subbing a lot because that's the whole hybrid defense. Is you never know what they what they're going to play, whether it's dime right. or. And so he doesn't. I don't think he really wants. He want they sub the line, the defensive line, but the back end they don't want to sub as much. Generally, that's what they showed last year. Um, and specifically to Tay Davis, I think that. Davis gets in the fact that he's more of that athletic hybrid that they just wanted to see. And, and I think that he made some athletic plays, but he absolutely had some assignment issues. Um, and I think that, that was the case really for, for most of the team, the defense in the back half of the year, um, when, when, Ogletree went, when Ogletree, when it went injured and then went injured and then when Collins went injured, yeah, they had, they struggled. Um, and so that was not ideal. And so, yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that's what you're seeing. I think this year, I think it's the jump that I like Goodson. I think he can play in this in this in this defense. Um, I think that if he can show the improvement and especially play with the heart that he played the last the last two, to three games, he played really well physically yep. and making plays in, in the tackling game. I think that can overcome the assignment issues where, yeah, maybe he's an early down linebacker, but still a, a key, a key cog and someone that they keep around.
1: Yeah, and I think just, just going by the grades and the snaps, EJ Goodson had 219 snaps in coverage. Tay Davis had 189 snaps in coverage. Ogletree at 433. Their coverage grades, at least according to Pro Football Focus, were very similar with the exception of Davis, who had a really bad coverage grade. As far as Ogletree versus Goodson, they had almost an identical coverage grade. Um, and I think Nick kind of breaks down why and where they – their pros and cons are in that sense. But I will say this, Ogletree is not going to come off the field. He's not only the leader of the defense, he's the quarterback of the defense. He is the guy with the headset. So he's calling the plays and getting people set up. But I think Ogletree gets a bad rap. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think he makes sideline to sideline plays that people just don't notice in the game. Or they're not, you know, they're not flashy big plays, but they're plays that save a lot. That's, that's, they're, they're plays he's making that prevent bigger plays from happening. And I think because of all that, he will remain in the game even if, you know, his coverage isn't at the elite level. And if the Giants, you know, had drafted some elite coverage guys or guys like, you know, Devin Bush at, with their first pick, something like that, things might be a little different from that standpoint, but with where their is at now, I don't think we'll see too much changing there. And on that note, guys, that's it for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed the full Daniel Jones podcast. We really wanted to do this one. It was probably the one we're most excited for. And again, if you do enjoy our podcast, please, please, please do us a favor. And tell your friends, tell your family, uh, spread the word. And also, more importantly, if you can, download every podcast on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, and give us a rating on iTunes. We're up over the 80 rating mark now on iTunes. I was excited to see that. We're nearing that 100 mark, which I really want to get to. Most are five stars, which, again, thank you. You guys can rate it however you want. um, But hopefully we deliver five-star content to you guys. And for this last podcast we did before this one, which focused on the Giants' offensive line and the interior offensive line in depth, It was actually our most downloaded podcast and our most on-demand plays podcast yet. So that was something really exciting for me to see, especially in the dead of the offseason. And as we move forward, we are entering the dead of the offseason. After next week, the Giants are wrapping up their final few uh, OTAs practice. Only one open to the media. Not much will come out of that. And then there's going to be a six-week break before training camp resumes in late July. So during that period, me and Nick are going to do something very similar to what we did on the podcast before this one. And even this one, you can say, either focusing in in-depth on a player or, more importantly, on a position group or a unit. So we're going to get creative there. But, you know, if there are things you guys want to hear about, now is the perfect time to do this. Because once we get into the full swing of things with training camp and preseason and the regular season, these are going to be much more formulaic. You know, you know what you got last season from us from a standpoint of in-season content breaking down the All-22 and previewing the next matchup. But now is the perfect time to get in anything you want to know about the Giants. And just send it to us you know, via Twitter. Just hit us up. Let us know what you want to hear about. Maybe you'll give us a great idea for our next few podcasts before training camp gets back underway. But on that note, guys, thank you for tuning in again, and we will see you soon.